Hello, welcome everybody. It's good to see everybody here. Uh, my name is John. I serve as one of the pastors here. I just want to extend a very warm welcome to all of you this morning. So let's bow our heads and pray as we begin our message. Gracious God, thank you for this beautiful morning, and I thank you for all the beautiful people here. God, we have come for you. We pray that you would speak to us and that we would have ears and hearts that are open to your word. In Christ's name, amen. So I was thinking about that question, uh, and I would answer it in two ways. So pre-pandemic, um, my preferred greeting style would just be like a handshake. And maybe if I got to know you better, and as our comfort level, comfort level increased, we might you know, progress to like, yeah, the, the handshake like back thump, or the side hug, or something like that. But that was like all before the pandemic. And I found that during the pandemic, all of that's just kind of just gone out the window. And nowadays, it's just kind of confusing to know how to greet people, right? I remember um, just recently, I was greeting someone, and I said hi to them, and I reached out my hand for a fist bump, but they had put out their hand for a handshake. So I quickly switched mine to a handshake, but then they had switched to a fist bump. And then, you know, then I switched again, and then they switched again. And it looked like we were playing rock, paper, scissors. Um, I think eventually I ended up uh, fist bumping their handshake. So it was just all really, really kind of sad and awkward. And, and I hear you laughing, which means you probably relate to that, right? We're in this, this weird stage of life where because of social distancing, because of uh, social isolation and all this stuff, we're needing to sort of relearn how we interact with one another. We're needing to like relearn the skills and basic ways of human interaction. You know, so how to make small talk, you know, how to ask good questions, how to listen attentively, how to connect. Uh, maybe you're here and you're like, I haven't skipped a beat when it comes to like social and relational interactions. That's great if that's you. But my guess is that for a lot of us, you know, maybe you, like me, it's, it's been a bit of a challenge to kind of get back into that. So we're in this series called Spiritual Recovery. And the idea behind this series um, is that because of the pandemic, because of pandemic life, because of the cumulative stressors that we've experienced, because of the constant, yeah, and the cumulative and even trauma, trauma that people have experienced, that all this together has really taken a toll on our spiritual well-being. And we're needing to relearn some of the things that we've forgotten. We're needing to learn uh, things that maybe came naturally to us but have become rusty. So over the last several weeks, we've talked about things like recentering our identity in Christ, uh, re-looking at rediscovering God's purpose for our lives, um, looking at how to pray again, how to pray through stressful times. Uh, this past Sunday, our guest speaker, Will Shields, spoke about how to connect with God, how to, how to uh, use nature as one means to reestablish connection with God. Well, this morning, I'd like for us, as part of our spiritual recovery, to talk about the topic of recentering hospitality. Now, the scriptures talk a lot about hospitality. This is just some examples from the New Testament. 1 Peter 4, 9, for example, says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, 
Hebrews makes this amazing kind of assertion. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. That's kind of a cool idea, right? That when we we show someone warmth, we might actually be doing that to an angelic being. Romans 12 says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. When I think of the word hospitality, the image that kind of comes, comes to mind, or the idea that comes to mind is that hospitality is where we're creating spaces. We're creating relational spaces where people will feel welcomed, where people will feel like they belong. Have you ever entered a room or like a group of people and you just immediately felt like, I'm not welcome here. I don't belong here. So we want people to feel welcome, to feel belonging, and to have their needs met. That's why often when we think of hospitality, we think of feeding someone food. If you're hungry, I'll give you something to eat. If you need a bed to sleep, I'll give you a bed. So hospitality uh, often begins with a warm greeting. A hello, you know, so glad you're here. A handshake, a fist bump, or the awkward elbow bump, right? It it begins with that, but it's certainly not limited to that. Um, But that is why our connection team and our sign-in team are so very important. So I didn't ask for Sue and Tiff's permission to show this, but, you know, when you walk in to our building, you're greeted warmly. And that's, that's by design. That's because that's one of our values. And um, there is no community without that sense of hospitality, right? It makes a huge difference. And so that's why I'm really grateful for Victor, Grace, Sue, Tiffany, uh, Gloria, and Jacob, and other members of the welcoming team. Uh, by the way, that's a, like a little underhanded plug. If you want to be a part of that, please let us know. We need more folks. So that's just one aspect of biblical hospitality. There's so much more. And this morning, we want to look at a a text that I think is a wonderful example of what Christian hospitality can look like. So as we dive into this text, just be kind of thinking about that question. What does Christian hospitality look like? And this comes from Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. And it says this. During those days, another large crowd gathered. And since they, the people, had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. So what you need to know is that by Mark chapter 8, word about this Jesus person had already really begun to catch fire. Jesus had performed some really amazing miracles, and some people were like, wow, he can heal me. Um, He had taught with a lot of uh, insight and authority and power. He had stood up to the religious elite. Um, And so you might say that his celebrity was definitely on the rise. And so Mark writes, another large crowd gathered. When there are famous people on the street, large crowds gather. Uh, several years ago, I had the chance to meet N.T. Wright. Uh, now, some of you know that name, um, Ted does, but a lot of y'all probably haven't heard of N.T. Wright. We actually quote him a lot here at Access. 
Um, he's a world-renowned New Testament scholar, uh, professor, bishop, and speaker. So if you think of a famous celebrity in like whatever sphere, whether that's sports or music or entertainment, uh, N.T. Wright is sort of like that of the Bible world, okay? <laughs> well, he had come to UT Austin, where my wife and I used to serve uh, with inter- a campus ministry with InterVarsity, and he was our guest speaker for a Veritas forum. Um, so our organization was one of many that was helping to sponsor this event. Um, and so later that night, he would pack out the auditorium that uh, we were in, you know, hundreds of students and faculty. There was a lot of buzz in the room because this is N.T. Wright. I mean, he's a big, big deal, even if you've never heard of him, okay? Uh, now, before the event took place, a small group of us got to share a meal with him. Uh, and we were, you know, all just extremely excited to be in this pres- his presence. And so, um, you know, we were all like, uh, really attentive to him. We were listening really carefully to every word he was saying, expounding. We would try to ans- uh, ask intelligent-sounding questions and then, you know, listen really carefully as he responded, uh, nodding as if we understood, but a lot of times I had no idea what he was saying, you know. Um, so, you know, we w- I noticed in that room, it was like a dozen or so people, we were all really attentive to his needs, as it should have been. So we'd ask him, you know, oh, Dr. Wright, do, uh, do you need a glass of water? Uh, do you need anything? Um, and uh, he was actually, you know, just very polite and uh, totally unpretentious throughout the whole, whole evening. But I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't turn to me and say, oh, John, is there anything you need? You know, do you need a drink of water? Can I get you anything? That would have been really unexpected and frankly strange, right? Because he was the special guest. He was, he was the big name that we had brought in and we were there to host him and to serve him. So isn't it interesting that Jesus, in this text, he's the one thinking about other people's needs. He's acutely aware, oh, this group of people must be hungry. We need to do something about that. Why? Why did Jesus notice this? Why did Jesus care? What drove this concern for others, even though he was a celebrity? Well, in a word, compassion. If you can help me go to the next slide, that'd be great. This compassion. Jesus says, I have compassion. We'll go a couple more here. Jesus says, I have compassion. When you have compassion for someone, you feel their pain. The word compassion is built on two Latin words, com, meaning with and together, and pati, meaning to suffer. And so literally it means to suffer with someone. It is to feel their struggle. And then uh, the word translated compassion comes from the gnarly Greek word splanknizomai. Right? Try saying that, splanknizomai. And that means to be moved, right? To be moved with pity, right? To, to feel compassion. And my point in highlighting this is to say this, that it's not just a, co- it's more than a cognitive thing. There's an emotive element to this description. 
Jesus wasn't just doing like a mental calculation. Oh yeah, it's been three days. They've had X number of meals. They must be really hungry. No, he actually felt something for them. He felt their hunger pains. He was moved with compassion. And that's the opposite of indifference and of callousness. Uh, recently, I was talking to a high school senior just this past week. Uh, my son's part of a carpool, and I was just asking him, hey, how's your high school you know, experience been? And at first he said, oh, yeah, it's, been, it's been pretty good. But then a moment later, he actually was like, well, actually, it hasn't been that good. I was a little bit surprised because he's usually pretty chipper and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, well, tell me more. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm just like a really social person. I love being around other people. And over the last two years, I just haven't been able to do that. And so it's been really hard. I, it's been a long time since I graduated from high school. I'm, a, I'm an introvert. But as I heard his story, I felt a lot of compassion for him. I could feel how hard that would be to go through that. Um, you know, I'm married, and I have four kids. And so if you were to come to the Lynn household on any given day, there's always a lot of laughter happening. There's running around. There's some fighting and some whining, lots of farting and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I love it, right? And I, I mean, it's not perfect at all, right? But I rarely feel lonely in my house because there's so much energy happening. But during this pandemic, man, I've been very sympathetic, very empathetic to those in our community and those in the world who, uh, whose experience, right, who live alone, who's this, whose experience has been just a pronounced, a pronounced sense of isolation that's just been reinforced over and over again over the course of months that have turned into years. I feel for them. In order for you and I to recenter hospitality, I really believe it must begin with a genuine compassion for one another. It must begin with the ability to step outside of our own experience and into the shoes of another person and ask ourselves, man, what are they feeling? And to identify with their struggle and their pain. That's what Jesus does. But let me just acknowledge a challenge. And that challenge is that the reality of compassion fatigue is very real. It's very real. I mean, I've just heard from so many people, particularly in the medical field, who are just, they're just done. They're just done. They don't have anything left to give, compassion-wise. And um, if that's you this morning, if that's where you find yourself, first I want to say thank you for the work that you do on the front lines. Thank you. And I also want to say, you know, we see you and we, we feel for you. It's just a real thing. But Jesus is moved with genuine compassion for the people. And so he conveys his desire to feed the crowd. And look at how his disciples respond. His disciples say, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? So that's a fair question. They're being just logical. They're looking at the crowd. They're looking at the food they have. And they're like, there's just no way. This is impossible. There's literally thousands of people here. So, you know, Jesus, you know, I, I, I get like compassion. I get, you know, hospitality. But come on, you got to be realistic too. But here's the issue that I have with their response. 
Because in Mark chapter 6, just two chapters earlier, uh, Mark, the writer of this gospel, records another incident that's eerily similar to this one. It's almost as if like Mark accidentally hit like copy and paste as he was writing this narrative. Because in Mark chapter 6, he records the feeding of the 5,000. Right? So Mark 8 is known as the feeding of the 4,000. Mark 6 is known as the feeding of the 5,000. And if you were to read that narrative, you'll see that like the details are a little bit different, but the basic plot line is the same. Right? There's a large crowd, not enough food. Jesus feels compassion, tells the disciples, do something about it. They're like, what the? And then they take whatever, like a couple of fish, some bread, and then a miracle happens, and the crowd is satisfied. Right? It's uh, the basic plot line is the same. And so it made me wonder, like, you know, do the disciples just have amnesia? Uh, what's up with them? Because surely if I were there a second time and Jesus was like, hey, John, go feed the crowd, I'd be like, oh, yeah, Jesus, you're going to do that, like, miraculous feeding thing again, right? I got you. But no, somehow the disciples forget I mean, by the, by the narrative, it doesn't even occur to them. And I think that highlights another really big challenge that we're facing in practicing hospitality. It's not just that we have compassion fatigue or we are short on compassion. It's that sometimes it just doesn't occur to us to show hospitality. We forget to show hospitality. We forget that showing hospitality is just a basic part of being a follower of Jesus. Uh, I recall what, you know, um, yeah, so it makes me think how, you know, as people, as a church, and this certainly applies to access, we've gotten, we've gotten used to certain ways of being. We've gotten used to certain routines. And that includes our Sunday routine, for example. We've all gotten used to a certain uh, routine on Sundays. And I remember, um, I remember that uh, when we were ramping up for our in-person gatherings, and uh, this was back in... Uh, July. So in August, we resumed weekly in-person gatherings. So back in July, I was thinking to myself, man, this is going to be a huge adjustment for our family to, you know, mobilize everything to get here on Sunday mornings. Because for months and months and months, we had just gotten super used to uh, waking up, you know, literally rolling out of bed. You don't even have to change. And you just like, Turn up, you just press a button, right? That's how we prepared for worship. Um, and then, uh, you know, we got used to uh, eating uh, sundry snacks during the worship time, right? Sorry, Jessica and worship team. We got used to just like eating and snacking and stuff like that. Um, we got used to just having so much time, more time than we've kind of ever had as a family on Sunday mornings. And so I knew, man, this is going to be a big adjustment when we come back to in person. Um, because there was very real inertia, right? We had gotten used to this one way of being, and now we had to overcome that inertia. Now, I just want to say this, especially to those of you who are viewing online. I know that there are a myriad of reasons why some people are staying at home and tuning in online. I totally get that. For some people, it's you're dealing with sickness or illness or travel. Or you're not feeling well. Uh, some of you have unvaxxed kids at home. Uh, some of you are living or caring for immunocompromised loved ones. Um, there are other reasons. But I'm also guessing 
that for some of us, the reason that we haven't come back here is simply because of good old inertia, right? We're just used to being at home. And if that describes you, I want to say, come on back. You know, we would love to see you. We miss you, right? We miss you. But my point in sharing all this is that it's easy to forget. It's really easy to forget that participating in corporate worship, right, hearing other people sing, is a way we're actually telling one another gospel truth. It's, it's really easy to forget that having a conversation face-to-face uh, can be like a, a different level of connection with someone, and it can be very life-giving and good for our souls. And it's easy to forget that as disciples of Jesus, he calls us to show everyday hospitality to one another. So the disciples forgot, and so Jesus asked them a question. He says, how many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. This is in verse 5. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. And that just counts the men. (laughs) Now notice this, okay? Jesus literally could have like snapped his fingers. I have this funny splint on so I can't. All right, he could have snapped his fingers and turned the grass into sushi, all right? Or he could have been like, hey, grab, grab, I want you to gather a bunch of pebbles and rocks and then he could turn them to rice and beans. Or he could have been like, reach into your pocket and then they would all pull out like a burrito or a hot pocket. Because we know from scripture that God has the power to create from nothing literally from nothing. But that's not what Jesus does here. Jesus' miracle, right, the miracle that Jesus performs in this text isn't to create something out of nothing, right? It's to take what they had, to take whatever little things that they had and to turn it into something more, to turn it into something much much more. So Jesus takes their seven loaves. He takes their three fish and he multiplies it again and again and again. And what's the result? The people all ate and were satisfied. And there was even leftovers. This is a really awesome thing that Jesus does here because it illustrates the fact that God's ordinary MO is to take what we have, what we have to offer, and to turn it into something more. For reasons beyond my limited understanding, God prefers to work through us and in us, not around us. I don't know why he does that. I think it would be a lot more efficient if God just worked around us. But for whatever reason, he prefers to work in us and through us. And so when it comes to hospitality, our calling is simply to offer what we do have. Students, you know, 
Don't underestimate what you can offer to your classmates or to your siblings. Offer what you do have. Too often, I think, we often uh, focus more on what we don't have, and then so that prevents us from offering anything at all. But all God asks is that we offer what we do have to share. So maybe we don't have a mansion to share, but we do have a room or a sofa. Maybe we don't have a lot of words to share, but we can offer a hello. Nice to see you. Maybe we don't have a lot of time these days, but we can take five minutes just to text someone and say, hey, I was thinking of you today. I'm praying for you. Um, So if you've ever had the wonderful experience, yeah, actually today, where's, where's Victor at? All right, so Victor, I think Grace, you guys were on connection duties today, right? Um, so if you had the pleasure of being welcomed by v- the Bucky's mask, right? We actually have two people, Vivian and Victor here, who have the Bucky's mask, but like, how could you not feel welcomed by the Bucky's mask, okay? Uh, so it's very strategic, Victor, that you wear that. But uh, I want to talk about that a little bit, not the Bucky's mask particularly, but uh, the way uh, Victor in particular, uh, you know, has served over the last I don't know, however long at access as a greeter and a welcome person. Because I, I remember I personally experienced that when I first came to access. And uh, recently, uh, I was talking to someone who shared how um, they were the beneficiary of that sense of hospitality. And so they were new to our church. They came for the very uh, first time, you know. And when you go to a new church, it's intimidating, isn't it? You know, to step into a new community, you don't know anyone, you're like, well, I belong. And they were greeted with a, a smile and a warm welcome for, from Victor. This was pre-pandemic, so there was no Bucky's mask. But you know, uh, you know, if you if you've been if you talked to Victor, you know there's just a lot of warmth, a lot of genuine interest. And that person was greeted by Victor. Uh, the following Sunday, they came back, and Victor, you remembered their name, and they were pleased, surprised. Wow, he actually knows my name. And that sense of hospitality that personalized hospitality, you know, nothing fancy, you know, just, just really simple but meaningful, made a huge impression on this person, and they stuck around. They became part of our community. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we got to welcome them as our newest staff member, right? Emily Coates will be serving as our children's ministry intern. Now, um, I'm not saying that that was the sole reason she's become a part of a community, but I think it was an important part. And all, I'm sure all of you, also had a part to play. But God takes small acts of hospitality and he can multiply them. He can turn them into things we did not expect or imagine. And so access as followers of Jesus, how might we practice hospitality? How might we recommit into a mindset of hospitality for others? A hospitality that is marked and energized by genuine compassion, not, you know, guilt or like obligation, but because I really care. I'm feeling what you feel as a newcomer. I'm feeling what you feel as someone who's isolated, and I'm driven by compassion. And how might we do that, uh, you know, just offering what we do have and trusting that God will multiply it? So I want to make this really practical. I have a few suggestions. First, let's start really simple. Let's make an effort to greet one another. Yes, that means awkward greetings, fist bumps, handshakes, you know, elbow bumps, all that stuff. It means masks, and it's just, it's not easy. But friends, we have to try. We have to try. 
Um, fact is, we are in a unique situation right now as a church. Because on Sunday mornings, we've had, I mean, praise God, we've had a lot of new people, newer people come to Access, which is really exciting. And the, the dynamic, though, is this, that a lot of our regulars actually are still tuning in online. Some of you are here, some of you are tuning in online. But what it's done in, our, in this setting, at least, is that you really don't know who's the regular and who's the new person. So let's say you're new and you're sitting there and you're like, okay, feeling a little uncomfortable. I just hope someone else comes up to me to greet me. Well, there's a good chance that the person sitting next to you is thinking the exact same thing. And so you have this like standstill where no one's like greeting one another, right? So I just want to encourage all of us. Let's just, let's get out of the categories of oh, I'm new or I'm visiting. Just, I'm a follower of Jesus. And followers of Jesus, they show hospitality to each other. So that person sitting next to me, I, I don't know them, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to go ahead and greet them. And so if we could just even try to greet one person before we duck out the doors, right? Uh, that, would, that would be pretty fantastic. And just really practically, I find that instead of saying, are you new? And then they're like, yeah, I've been here for 10 years. And then it's like kind of awkward. Just avoid that question altogether and just say, you know, hey, I don't think I've met you before. You know, my name is, my name is John. You know, it's nice to meet you, right? And just start from there, right? I don't think I've met you before. My name is John. Um, that seems to usually work a lot better. The second thing is this. Let's check in on each other more regularly and more intentionally. Uh, I'm not saying go down a list of people. What I'm saying is ask God. You could do that if you want. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm actually inviting you to ask God. God, is there someone in my orbit, is there someone in my life that, you're, that you'd want me to kind of reach out to? And maybe a name will pop up that you haven't thought about in a while. And I encourage you to reach out to them. Send them a text. Email them. Call them up. You know, go old school and call them up. Um, if you're comfortable with meeting in person, ask that other person, hey, are you comfortable meeting in person? And then ask them, hey, you know, are, you, are you comfortable outdoors or indoors? Those are the kind of conversations we need to have these days just to clarify things and make it less comfortable. And if you're not comfortable meeting in person, ask another person, hey, you up for like a Zoom call or a FaceTime or a phone call, right? Just, I know all that sounds super basic, but gosh, there's so much inertia that we're fighting. And so it will take a concerted effort uh, to do that for one another. And the third thing is let's offer hospitality, not just to the people we already know or the people we already like, but to the stranger, to the refugee, to those whose skin color is different than our own. Our city continues to be a major hub for refugee resettlement, you know, from Afghanistan to Haiti. And I know that some of you have already been involved in showing hospitality by putting together welcome kits. I saw this on social media uh, through our partnership with Houston Welcomes Refugees. That's one example of compassionate hospitality. And so way to go, way to do that. Uh, students, um, it's really easy just to kind of stay in your clique, right? To sit with the kids you sit with at lunch, to talk to the kids that you sit with, you talk to at class. What would it look like for you to practice hospitality? Like the kind of hospitality that reaches across and says to a stranger, hey, I don't think I've met you before. <laughs> What's your name? Right? I know that it's awkward, 
But that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We show hospitality to those who are not like us, who aren't already in our orb. On the first of every month, our church takes communion together. And uh, I believe that this, this table is one of the most striking embodiments and examples of God's hospitality to us. You see, the scripture teaches that we were made in God's image, that we were fully and completely loved, but in rebellion, we turned away from God. We said, God, no thanks. We did things our way. And as a result of that, we became separated from this God and we became separated from one another. The scripture actually say, it says that we have actually become enemies in our minds, right? Through our actions and our heart. But it also says that God, who is rich in mercy, even yet we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the hospitality that God shows is that he says, I welcome you back. And so at this table, Christ offered his life through his blood and his body in order to forgive us, in order to break down the wall that separates us from God so that we could re-enter a relationship with God, so that God could welcome us with open arms into friendship. And so a couple thousand years ago, at this table, Jesus welcomed sinners. And today, Today, Jesus continues to welcome us into his family. But here's the thing about hospitality. You can offer it, but it can't be forced upon someone, right? They must receive it. And so we too can receive the hospitality of God, the loving kindness of God, simply by saying yes to Jesus. That we can say, you know, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to trust in you. And that is our act of receiving the grace and the hospitality of God. At Access, we practice the open communion table, which means you don't have to be baptized to take communion. And if you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus, what I want to invite you to do is maybe today is the day. Today is your day to say, yeah, I'll come in. Yeah, I'll follow you. And you don't have to have it all figure it out. All you have to simply do is just tell God, God, I want to follow Jesus. And let your coming up today to take communion be your first, like, concrete step of faith. So church, let's read together the scriptures from 1 Corinthians as we prepare to take communion together. Let's read this together. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Jesus. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. 
So church, in the next few minutes, let's take some time just to open up a little space for us to hear what the Spirit of God might be saying to us. Spend some time just maybe sitting in quiet, asking God, what do you want me to know today? What are you trying to tell me about your welcome of me? What are you trying to tell me about hospitality? And when you are ready, come to the table. You pick up the elements and return to your seat where you can take communion with those around you, with your family, or by yourself. So church, let's enter this time.
Friends, um, what grace that God has welcomed us into his family through Jesus. Now let's go and do likewise. Amen? Let's say our sending prayer together. Loving God. Oh, you can stand, I guess. Do we stand? Yeah, stand. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us towards joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen.